Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Radio Motherboard is brought to you by Casper. Sleep is a pain in the ass, but you shouldn't have your mattress to blame. Try Casper. It's one perfect mattress made in the USA just for you. With free shipping, free returns, and a whole 100 nights to try it out. Yeah, that's right. You can actually take this thing for 100 test sleeps to decide if you love it. Check it out at casper.com and make sure you use code VICE, that's V-I-C-E, for $50 off any mattress. She's very vulgar. Um, <laughs> but this woman was like kind of booty calling this dude, right? Like, she was like, hey, what do you, like they met at a bar, and then she was like, all right, I want to fuck this dude. And started like booty texting, and was like, hey, what are you up to? And he was like, ah, oh, not much, I just got home. And then she wrote back something like, what do you think my pussy's up to right now? <laughs> <laughs> Staff writer Jason Kevler, and I'm joined with two newbies to the radio motherboard show. We've got Lara Heinz, an associate producer, assistant producer? Yep, associate producer. And Derek Mead, our editor in chief. I'm very happy that Derek is here. Hi, I'm glad I'm here. So, as we were waiting to get this podcast started, Derek was on his cell phone tindering. Did you get any matches, Derek? Uh, no, I don't get many matches because I'm not interesting or attractive. Um, but if it vibrates during the next uh, few minutes that we're chatting, I'll definitely let everyone know because I might like hoot and holler in the background. <laughs> <laughs> when you get a match on Tinder or OkCupid, are you, do you then send a message? Do you usually send a message or do you wait or do you then reevaluate the profile? Is this getting too personal? No, it's probably pretty personal, but uh, I have no idea, actually, uh, what the right thing is to do. Um, I usually go and look at someone's profile and see if there's something interesting I can say, um, and then maybe I'll chat them, or I'll just forget about it, and then it's like a week's later, and then you, you feel weird because it's really hard to try to pick up a conversation with someone that happened to randomly put half a second of effort into liking you about three weeks ago. So, I don't know, mostly it's just empty, like a graveyard of misconnections. Yeah, that's kind of why we're doing this. Um, Aziz Ansari, the comedian, just wrote a book called Modern Romance, and he talks a lot about this uh, disastrous world we've created with online dating and smartphones. And it's pretty interesting because it's not just like, hey, I'm a comedian, I'm writing a book. He actually teamed up with a sociologist named Eric Kleinenberg from NYU, and they did a bunch of focus groups where they talked to people who are single, people who are in relationships, 
they went to nursing homes or retirement communities in New York City and talked to old people about what love used to be like. And we're actually going to talk to Eric, who co-wrote the book with Aziz in a few minutes um, about, you know, why he, why in the world he would want to write a book with a comedian. But uh, I read the book and it is very, it's a smart book and there's far more uh, facts and graphs in it than you might expect. Um, if you've ever listened to Aziz's uh, stand up, it's pretty, he's a smart guy and he has a lot of good observations. And some of those, I think the one that hit me first was this one where he talks about texting a girl to go get pizza or he was texting a girl like back and forth. And then he finally asked her, Hey, do you want to go on a date? And then he doesn't hear back from her for like ever. For the people, I don't know if you guys have all read the book, but in, in the thing I tell a story about this woman that I call Tanya, who I met and was like really excited about and thought we, we had like a good connection and that, you know, it was going to be a, you know, a thing. And then I texted her and didn't hear anything and, it became this weird thing, but it was kind of like the moment that kind of inspired like some of the stand-up that I wrote about this stuff and everything, and just kind of made me realize like, oh wow, this is really different. Like this idea of like, oh, I text someone, I don't hear anything back. Like I'm going crazy and going through this roller coaster of emotion because someone just isn't sending me a message on a phone. Like that's not a thing that could have happened like six years ago, or whatever. Um, but um, I talk about do you guys have any sort of experiences with that? Well, I can say as far as Tinder goes, like I tried it once just to see how it was going to work. And it, it was like late one night at a bar. And this is going to make me sound like a terrible person, but it was more of like a social experiment than anything else. And I was just like, oh, I'm just going to keep trying this out. And then the next morning woke up like with full on anxiety because it was just like messages and I had no idea what to do with them and I felt really guilty about not responding to them so I just deleted the app <laughs> that's really awesome actually <laughs> yeah I uh, I don't think that you should feel anxiety about that though because that's entirely how it works for everyone I think I've ever <laughs> talked to it's just like yeah I don't know it's uh, just a bunch of weirdos on there and then it's like people being way too thirsty or they don't respond to anything you want to say or you like talk to them for like two minutes and then someone's just like now nah, I'm over it and then you never hear from them like that's the point that Aziz is making right that, like there's just this empty like there's no loss just suddenly not talking to someone ever again yeah. right I mean yeah that happens all the time and that is mentioned in the book and the thing that you just described having terrible anxiety and feeling bad about means that you're a good person because <laughs> Aziz mentions this in the book that uh, like some crazy amount, like 80% of Tinder accounts are made as jokes and basically done as a game at bars with people's friends. Like they'll just like swipe through just to see what happens and, you know, they'll do it with their friends. And there's actually an artist in New York who has been doing live Tinder swipes where she'll invite like 30 people to basically watch her swipe through Tinder and people will vote on whether she should swipe right or left or whether they think it'll be a match and just instantly this woman gets you know a bunch of terrible messages from thirsty men and it's a very interesting sociological survey of the world right now i guess but it is scary <laughs> like it's scary how many connections we're making and then how quickly they're going away i don't know if you can even like call them connections when you get a match yeah absolutely i mean it's like uh recently 
I'm talking to a few friends who have been saying that dating feels more and more like they understand Seinfeld, where you're like, holy cow, like you go out with someone for a few dates and all of a sudden you realize there's something like really like minor that drives you insane about them. Like they have like a weird tooth or their laugh is strange or like their pinky finger like sticks in a weird direction. You're like, holy shit, like I can't deal with this person anymore because it's driving me nuts. And then all of a sudden you realize that there's a million other people in New York that you could date and you just kind of move on. And I know that that's happened to me in both directions and it's, uh, it's weird. And then when it's online, it's even worse. Cause you're like, you put pictures of yourself and like, try to like hone in exactly as best you can and then try out different pictures. And then if you get more likes on that one, then all of a sudden you're like, shit, like I need to put this on here because people think it's cool. And then you actually meet the person and you're like, Oh, you're not really exactly the same. And also I based my entire thought of who you are on like five pictures on an app versus realizing that you're like a complete person who's very interesting and has all these things going on, but isn't what I would thought you were. You know, there's one way of seeing, like, what we have now is like, oh, it's very stressful, there's so many options, and it's very hard, but I talk to a lot of people, older people in, like, retirement homes, old, like, older, older people, not older by her standards, like, <laughs> like, old people, like, people in retirement, like, people that are about to die, that's old, like, that's, <laughs> that's older, um, and when you talk to those people, especially the women, it was interesting, I talked to them, and, um, they talked about meeting, they talked about like being about like 20 years old and living with their parents. And uh, they said they their, their husband was some guy they like met in the neighborhood um, who seemed nice. And then they introduced him to their parents and the parents were like, oh yeah, this guy doesn't seem like a murderer, he seems nice. And they got married pretty quickly afterwards and they didn't really have like a deep connection with them and I was like well it seems like they describe how like they were like I live with my parents I couldn't do anything I whenever I went out with my friends I had to tell them where I was going and everything I couldn't really become an adult so I got married and I was like well you think like part of the reason you got married was just just for that just to get out of the house and they're like yeah and some of them were very happy like they loved their husbands very much and they grew to love them but others of them had this period of their lives where they were stuck with this person that they didn't have a deep connection with and it was kind of sad and all of them, though, regardless of even if they were happy, seemed to have a longing for this period in their lives where they were just independent adults who were having fun and doing whatever they want. Because those women like that I spoke with, like a lot of them didn't have the option to go to college or start their own career or anything. And now like everyone has this period when you leave your house where you, know, you just dick around and you just have fun and you do whatever you want. And then maybe you get into a relationship at some point or whatever. But I think it's something uh, young people now really take for granted. Like a lot of people didn't have that stage other life, what we call emerging adulthood, and um, I think we're really fortunate to be able to do it because a lot of those people didn't, and it seemed to make them bummed out to see what <laughs> Well, yeah, it's also like one of the people that I saw on Tinder was like posing with two dolphins, and on the one hand, it's cool, and on the other hand, you're just like, what am I supposed like? Am I supposed to think that you spend all your time like in the Caribbean or like <laughs> that you really like dolphins? Like I'm not really sure. Like yeah, of course you like dolphins, but I just I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to get from it. Yeah, and not to yeah, you find yourself judging other people's photos all the time, and mine are no better. But I think everyone has their like pet peeves with Tinder or OkCupid, and you're kind of like oh, your first picture is you and six other people. I don't know which one you are. The second one is like a picture of only your hair. The third picture <laughs> is like you at a beach, but you're 60 miles away from the camera. Like you have no idea what these people look like. 
and Tinder is inherently designed to be, you know, you're you're going on looks only. You're not you don't have like this whole picture of mm-hmm. a person. Do you guys think that's a bad thing that it's like only like look based when you first start to see someone? I actually prefer it because like Lara said, um, when you have these other like eHarmony type sites where you filled out an entire profile and listed your 68 favorite movies and your 35 favorite books, you feel like you've either already met the person or you just get like too much information, I think, and you, you make like more of a judgment. Whereas if you're dating in the real world, you might... Like, let's say you see someone at the bar, you're going to judge them based on their looks, and then you'll learn something about them. So I haven't really done much online dating, but if I am going to, I think I want, I would want to do like a couple messages back and forth and then meet the person and see if it's, if there's like some sort of spark rather than, you know, message back and forth for 45 minutes about, you know, the OC or something. (laughs) I can't believe that's the first television show I thought of. <laughs> well, that's like a really good date show for sure. I'll give you that. But yeah, no, I think the same thing. It's like when you see people on the street, you're like, wow, this person, like he's definitely a layer of attraction and then you hope that they're normal and not a psycho or not boring, um, which many, I've disappointed many people in that regard. Uh, but, the boring or psycho part? Uh, it swings <laughs> no. in and out. That's probably... Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I think that it's valuable in that respect. And also it's good because when you like are online, it's so weird because it feels like you are having a lot of interactions with people when it actually is nothing. Like, but a uh, good friend, and we were talking about dating recently, and she was saying that she doesn't want to text people anymore because you realize that when you've been texting back and forth to someone about nonsense, it feels like you've been on all these dates and then you realize you've only been on one date with this person. You have no idea who they are and inevitably someone feels like they're it's more serious than it is because you've like never hung out but you're constantly like oh this person texts me so i should send something back i don't know right and you know like what they've been doing every day for the last week and you know whether or not there's something to talk about or not you are thinking about that person because they're constantly like pinging you so yeah yeah and you're just like you get an emotional attachment without actually even knowing them at all and that is really weird that's how people get catfished yeah. <laughs> Have either of you guys ever been catfish? I haven't. I've catfished people before back in the AIM days. It was <laughs> <laughs> this, I was okay. I was like a proto catfisher, wow. I believe. Wow. Was, yeah, that's, <laughs> did not expect to hear that Im- today. That's impressive. <laughs> so I used to like uh aim message back and forth with my cousin all the time and there was this guy who was like perennially obsessed with her mm-hmm. and so we would she would just like send me all these cringy um you know ims that he was sending her mind you we were in like eighth grade or something and i thought it would be funny to pretend to be like a, an imaginary girl that went to his school and said i had a crush on him and just like see what would happen and it turns out this kid was like very easy to fool (laughs) so it's kind of terrible i guess but i just messaged him back and forth for like you know a day like an hour on im and he's like oh you want to like meet me at the movies like tomorrow jesus (laughs) this is twisted man yeah this is gnarly I thought that was kind of normal, but I guess maybe not. <laughs> wow, yeah. You were watch out for you on the online dating thing. Yeah, uh, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so, Well, I know that uh, to back away from the like psychotic part of this, um, the lunatic maneuvers, I definitely uh, 
Maybe there's uh, one girl that I went out with like two times, but she text like we were texting all of the time, and she would text me pictures of what she was doing, and I was like, oh man, this girl's like super pretty, and she seems really cool, and I'm so excited, and we hung out, and it's kind of fun, and we went out another time, and it sort of was cool, and uh, after that, basically like. She's like, I don't really want to, I just want to not really hang out anymore. This isn't really working. I was like, what the hell? This is so crazy. Because they had this set up. And now I, now I just, after that, I was like, oh, I don't want to text anyone ever anymore. Because you have like a totally different portrait of who you are, yeah. I guess. On on a different end of that spectrum, mm-hmm. um, I did distant, like distance with my boyfriend for two years. And weirdly, that was something that I think like kind of helped that happen was because like you know you can talk on the phone or whatever at the end of the day but there was something about being able to text each other like the most banal things that are happening Mm -hmm. in your life like i just ordered a burrito or like (laughs) yeah look i'm here's a picture of my lunch like that in that sense like since i already knew him obviously like that weirdly Mm-hmm. was like a weird way to stay connected. Uh, well, it, it it's it's strange because the thing you see the most and if you're a guy, it doesn't seem very bad, but it's just just saying nothing, just saying like, "Hey, what are you doing? What's going on tonight? What are you up to?" Like that kind of stuff was so prevalent and it's just like when you see it in the context if you see it in the context of a guy, you're a guy and you're sending it to some person you met at a bar, right? That doesn't seem that bad. You know, I probably sent some version of something like that at some point when I was single. It seems totally harmless. seems nice, right? But when you interview, like, hundreds of women and you see it from their end and you see it from their phone, it's like, yeah, this guy, there's, like, all these guys just texting me, hey, or what are you doing? And it's nothing. It sounds (laughs) ideal. But I I have to say, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, single sort of dating situations. And, you know, Lara's in a relationship and I have been in relationships in my life. Where <laughs> no That's texting, cool. texting is like it go. It's a two way street, you know. Because I did distance for a very short period of time, and then got sick of it. But you know, you get into this situation where you're texting so often about you know nothing, and it becomes a chore. And that's something that you know both Aziz and Eric talk about in the book, where you know technology has made dating both easier and harder but it's also made relationships easier and harder because you can get annoyed when like oh, you're yeah. constantly texting back and forth and it's like hey I'm sorry I'm like really busy and like you know you don't respond in time so someone gets an- or thinks you're angry or they put they text just like okay or like the mm-hmm. worst thing is they put a period at the end of their sentence you know like are they mad <laughs> and you find yourself becoming this person who's like almost not a fortune teller, but trying to be like a mind reader, you know, like, are they actually mad at me? Yeah. Like, what is going on? It right is now? really difficult sometimes to interpret tone in text. Is it like, and I can see that, like, it's not like, you know, texting for two years was like, totally fine and lo- <laughs> right. wonderful all the time. But like, yeah, there were definitely times where you're just like, you want to talk to somebody and you're like, man, why aren't they responding? Or like, why did you why did you just give me a one-word answer? Like, what's going on? Are you mad? When they weren't at all, they were just, like, responding really quickly. So. Yeah, I also know that for, like, in my... uh, uh, It's also not just the fact that you're, like, communicating over phones all the time, but it's the fact that also Mm -hmm. that our phones are a constant distraction and are always around us. 
And uh, it's like you get a text when you're at dinner and you're like, oh, shit, I need to look at this. Like, I wonder what someone has written in my email because clearly there's something disastrous happening at work at 9 p.m. on Friday while I'm at dinner or something, you know, which is not possible. But I know my my ex definitely had a very visceral hatred of my phone, which I also do, which is fair. But it was because it was always there and you always have things that are get around you that it, it feels like they superficially connect you, but also when you're together are pulling you apart. And that I don't like at all. <laughs> There's that um, GIF art that you like, isn't there? Where it's like yeah. two people laying in a bed and they're both, you know, they're facing away from each other texting. And I think that's something that happens all the time. Yeah. Whether you're in bed or, you know, at dinner or yeah. just walking around. Yeah, that is my favorite piece of current art. Is <laughs> it's like two people with like their phones flashing on their face in bed. And uh, it's great. But um yeah, I don't know. It's it it's it does feel like a communication that gets very superficial now. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, it's the other thing. Like, mm-hmm. and this could be text message. This could be messages on Tinder. This could be anything. Like, there's a very like it's very ephemeral, and so it's also hard to take it seriously sometimes because it's just like you know coming and going all the time. But it also introduces like you know, normally you would have a conversation with somebody, even someone that you would date, you know, maybe say 10, 15, whatever, before messaging was a regular thing. And you would like initiate a conversation. And even if they didn't call you back, once you started talking to them, you could respond. But like with messaging, now we have like these weird conversational gaps where it's like you send somebody a message or a text and then you have to wait for them to respond and then you have to like wonder why they're not responding or you see the three dots and then the three dots go away and it just introduces like this very weird dynamic well, like a younger person if they don't get a text back like like someone like my age of 32 like if they don't get a text back in like a couple of hours like they're like what's going on but if someone in college doesn't get a text back in like a minute, they're like, "What the fuck?" Maybe <laughs> no. And, and, it, and, and it was just interesting seeing how you know that they're the younger people we talk to, their their kind of view on a lot of these things is so different. And um, you know, when we ask like younger women, like, "What if a guy called you?" When we ask like people my age, like, "Oh, what if a guy called you?" They're like, "Oh, I think that would be really refreshing. It would be really thoughtful. I'd really appreciate it." We ask younger women, what if a guy called you? They'd be like, really, when you you think about it. Um, We should pause here to talk to Eric because we've been talking for a very long time and Eric is very smart and helped Aziz with with this book. So we're going to talk to Eric Kleinenberg. He's a sociologist at NYU and is co-author of Modern Romance. Well, thank you for joining us, Eric. Great to be here. Thanks. Um, congrats on the book. How, can you tell me a little bit about how exactly you got involved with this project? You know, it's a strange story, unlike any other story I could tell about doing a scientific project, for sure. Uh, I guess the best way to start the story is to say that many years ago, I had a, a manny, which is a, a male nanny, uh, who lived in New York City and was also a stand-up comedian uh, and playwright. Now he's a TV writer. His name's Jack Moore. And he was raving one day about this extraordinary comedian, Aziz Ansari. I'd never heard of him, but he started playing me, you know, MP3s. And I thought the guy was hilarious and became a fan. Uh, And then a few years ago, I was standing at Penn Station 
uh, and out of the blue got a phone call from the editor and publisher at Penguin, uh, which had published my book uh, Going Solo about the rise of single people, saying, hey, Eric, you know, are you, are you, sorry for calling you, uh, but, but do you know anything about this guy Aziz Ansari? And I said, Aziz Ansari, he's my hero. Uh, and he was, he was a little surprised to hear that. Um, from a card-carrying uh, member of the American Sociological Association. Um, but it turned out that um, they had just signed Aziz to do a book with them, and Aziz really wanted to work with a social scientist. So, uh, you know, he urged me to, to, to race on over to, to his office uh, and sit down and talk to Aziz a little bit. I did, and it turned out that the two of us really had, you know, some shared interests and questions and a, a, a good connection, and we decided to do this project together. Uh, was it clear from the outset that Aziz wanted this to be a very serious look? Uh, obviously, the, it's a fun book as well, but a very serious look at you know why people are single today and how we date today. Um, I've got to say that the chart to joke ratio, like the the number of jokes <laughs> in those charts, it was not quite what I was expecting. And I mean, I mean in a good way. There's like a lot of facts in this book, but a lot of jokes also. I mean. Uh, it, it, it really, we, we really felt like we were trying to invent a genre while we were doing this, right? Kind of take toggling back and forth between serious science and, and serious humor. Um, and, you know, we'll let you be the judge of how well we pulled that off. But I certainly, to answer your question, didn't get immediately that he really wanted a serious social scientist to do this and that he really wanted to do original research projects when we've first had our discussion, it took me a good hour uh, before it became clear that he didn't just want casual insights and he didn't want to use sociology just as a way of setting up the next joke, that he was genuinely curious. And that was exciting for me. And frankly, I never would have done this project if it didn't have a serious scientific side of it. Uh, you know, for sure, it was a great opportunity to work with just a brilliant and creative and, you know, constantly funny and engaging person. Uh, but it was also an opportunity for two people who, who think about the world in pretty similar ways uh, to explore it together. And I learned in the process of doing this work just how much affinity there is between comedy and social science. And I, I didn't understand that before. Right. Yeah, Aziz has never really struck me as like a Jerry Seinfeld type where it's like, isn't it crazy that, um, you know, airline food, whatever. He's always, especially, I guess, would, I would say after the first, um, the first stand-up special, you could tell he was delving into some serious stuff and, like, had some really interesting insights into people and how we interact, and especially with this, uh, this last stand-up special he's done. I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's also, it's, like, pretty close to home, so... You can tell he he's like deeply passionate about the topic. He he is, and I, and I think it's not just a, a kind of passion to talk about it. He also, and this is really unusual, uh, has this driving desire to understand in the deepest way, right? And so he wants to get at parts of the human experience that so many of us uh, share, uh, but that we don't necessarily have a language for discussing and and it's it's funny i mean i i really want to do that in my sociological research as well uh and we noted what one day we, we were doing a focus group with a couple hundred people and i 
made a claim about the fact that uh, one in two households in Manhattan, where we were at the time, were just one-person households. And enormous numbers of people in the city were single, and you could hear the crowd say, you know, "Whoa!" Like, take it, like, breathe in, and and it was audible. And Aziz turned to me right away and he said, "Oh my God, that's the that's the the academics equivalent of a huge laugh line for a comedian." Like, he he totally got that we were both trying to reach for some place that would move people. Um, off their seats in some way. They re respond in different ways, but, but it's coming from the same place. And so that's like search to try to, you know, elicit that response by uncovering something new and surprising uh, and exciting, uh, you know, really unified us in the, in the process. Right, right. Um, you talk about trying to create a new genre with this. And I mean, I think you did succeed. I, I definitely learned something and I definitely laughed. Um, you've, you know, published papers before, you've done sociological research before. How closely did you guys stick to something that, you know, if it had been written maybe differently, could have been published in, say, an academic journal? Oh, there, there were definitely things we did that um, could be turned into, you know, scholarly publication. And, uh, you know, just for, for instance, um, uh, you know, we did a lot of interviews on uh, you know, topics that are new and interesting for people uh, who care about the way relationships work these days, the dynamics of relationships, and uh, using kind of in-depth interviews as a scientific research method, you know, we're able to explore parts of the of human experience that I think uh, are, are, are fascinating. And so I, I should say, you know, at the outset that the projects we did were primarily qualitative and so they would be more qualitative social science, which hopes to uh, uncover uh, social processes that we aren't really aware of or deepen our understanding of the way uh, people live in the world and relate to each other. Um, uh, but we also did some quantitative work. Uh, we had access to surveys that Match.com put together that were actually surprisingly comprehensive and to some of the behavioral data from OkCupid as well. Um, but you know, to take one example, um, of a topic around which I'd like to do some future research, um, uh, just to follow up on what we did in the book. Uh, you know, we did this giant focus group with people who were in relationships, and we wanted to talk to people about dynamics of relationships. Uh, what is it like to to live uh, with a smartphone? Is a big underlying question of the book. You know, to carry this device in your pocket all the time. And we thought about it a lot for singles, but it turns out. It really living with smartphones really affects people in relationships as well. And one totally fascinating area had to do with how do people uh, in relationships, uh, you know, manage access. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. ...to their own private lives through their phones. So for instance... Do you share your password with your partner? Uh, what are the moments at which you and your partner decide to share passwords or to let each other into various parts of your of your life on the phone? 
uh, if you're sitting with your partner and and he or she gets a text message, uh, can you look at it? Uh, you know, what if that you know you notice them uh, in conversation with someone on Facebook? Will you go down the rabbit hole of you know clicking through that conversation and trying to see what they're up to there, or do you respect you know that there's some borders? And it turns out there's enormous variation in the way that people do that stuff and think about it. And there's, there's really nothing in the literature now that engages that as a, as a problem in, in social dynamics. And so that's just like an area where we had tremendous data. I think you could do a great scientific paper. Uh, and I would never have thought of it were it not for our project. Right, right. Yeah, you mentioned there's great variation. And I've been in, in relationships where uh, I've had passwords shared and it ended poorly. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, I just like never yeah. want to know ever again. I don't want to know passwords. I don't re- want to read text messages. I don't want to go on Facebook. But um, it's it's, you- so, it's so hard. It's so hard. And, you know, it's funny because when Aziz and I started this conversation, uh, you know, my view as a guy who's married with two young kids is that it's inevitable. Like at some point when you're intimate enough and you are really, your life is entwined with someone well enough, like you can't help but share passwords and all that information because you just need to share stuff. And it's so inefficient to have to like hand over the machine and then get them into the thing. And Aziz's view was like, there's no way I will ever do that in my life. That's a crazy thing. Like I'd rather share bank accounts and everything else before I would share all of my passwords and social media stuff because like I need to have some core of privacy. Otherwise, like what kind of life am I going to have? And I can totally relate to that, but we were just coming at it from very different places. Right. And it seems like often passwords are shared out of convenience. Like you mentioned, I mean, you want to like change the song on the, on iTunes or something and you need the login. Exactly. Exactly. Or, or, you know, sometimes, um, you know, life gets busy and you leave something in one place and your your partner's at home and wants to watch a movie on your laptop and, you know, what are you going to do? Right, <laughs> right. Sorry, honey, uh, I won't let that happen until I get home uh, right. with the password. You'll have, to, you'll have to read a book tonight. Right, right. So <laughs> have you, uh, can we say whether, you know, sharing passwords is a good or bad thing or is it just like, it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. There's shades of gray all over the place. You know, uh, you know, as a social scientist, my job is really much more to try to explain and understand things, you know, rather than to say it's whether something's good or bad. Uh, you know, that, uh, that, that's really kind of like a moralist job. Uh, I, you know, I do think that both, I think that whether or not you share, there are consequences for your relationship. Uh, and we can help to identify what some of those things are. Uh, and that's pretty fun. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm curious to hear more about your experience, because one thing we heard from people was like, not necessarily in the realm of sharing, but in the realm of snooping, which is another big topic. Like if you haven't worked out an agreement, how much do you actively look into your partner's uh, phone life or social media life? Like, will you try to sneak into their account? If they leave their email box open, do you ever like look to see who they're emailing back and forth with or even open up their messages, right? Like, it's so easy to do that with someone if you are around them a lot these days. And so many people told us, like, uh, you know, I started doing that because I was worried, I was insecure about a relationship. But after a while, I realized, like, that was such a dangerous thing to do because if I was constantly snooping on the person, I trusted and was in this romantic relationship with, you know, I would never 
learn to deeply trust them, right? I'd, I'd, I'd always be skeptical and anxious. And we heard from this amazing story of a guy who was with his girlfriend on a ski trip and she uh, fell and you know really badly injured her leg and was being removed from the from the mountain by paramedics and while they're in the ambulance like she handed him his her phone to call somebody and he looked and she had just gotten the snapchat message from somebody and then he kind of like freaked out because oh my god you know my my my, my girlfriend is snapchatting with some other guy uh and you know, he got really upset about it, and but obviously that was not the time to process it. And he held on to that for a long time. And it turned out when he finally, you know, confronted her that this was like a gay friend, and there was no, ins you know, insinuation of anything sexual in the exchange. Um, but he had suddenly gotten really nervous about that, you know, for for months because he he'd seen something he shouldn't have seen, and he was like, "I'm not going to do that ever again." Right, right, yeah. I mean, you wanted, you said you want to hear my experience, so I, I mean, I think. It just seems like no matter which way it goes, I mean, I understand why people snoop, but if you don't find anything, you've, you know, violated the trust of someone who, you know, you need to trust you. And if you do find something like the relationship is over as well. So it seems like but, but almost then, a death blow either way. Yeah, but except for the thing is we did find people who who actually snooped and then found shit. Well, exactly. <laughs> and exactly. they were like, thank God I got this relationship over with because like what was the point of wasting their time in a, with a guy who was cheating on them on the side? Right, right. And I mean, there, there's certainly the argument. I, I feel like if you feel the need to snoop then the relationship is maybe not as solid as you had hoped in the first place so yeah i, I don't know maybe I, people I, are just you know some people have different differing levels of jealousy and suspicion so i don't i don't know right and let's face it like it's so hard out there right and this is one of the other big things i think that emerged from our research like at some point during our research we came to think of smartphones as being like these 24-7 singles bars that we keep in our pockets, right? Because they make it possible for people to connect ar around the clock uh, for any kind of activity from like a casual chat to casual sex. And we have no idea how to deal with this situation. It's just like a strange thing to have in our pockets. It's a strange kind of capacity to have. And so, you know, I think people are really struggling around this question. And, and that means like trying to figure out how much of a chance should I give the person who's sitting across from me on this first date when like actually at this very moment there's like 50 more people who are within a mile of me on tinder who I could go out and meet so like maybe this person is not all that I'm going to race out of here as fast as possible um, and also how do you hold the attention of someone who has that as well that option right it's like so leave at any point you know right we all have to be performing at such a high level uh, to engage people, right? And, you know, we literally talked to people who would be on dates with someone and they were like, would sneak out to the bathroom and get on Tinder uh, just to see what, you know, who else was out there. And, you know, I think like the, the for, for me, the kind of deepest problems that the book engages have to do with, you know, how we fully engage with the people we're with uh, and in some ways with ourselves when we have access to all this novelty and all these different connections in our pockets all the time. Right. Yeah. This is semi-related to, I guess, the snooping question, but there's the question of attention, you know, on dates. Um, how much do you look at your phone and like, who is that person texting? Because obviously you, you want to put your phone away, but um, 
as a journalist, and there's many other jobs like this too, uh, you know, if some news breaks or if something's happening and I get an email about it, uh, you know, I need to respond to it right away, or at least sometimes I want to. Um, and you know, if I if I'm constantly pecking at my phone or like glancing at my vibrations or whatever, that's obviously gonna make someone else angry and. You know, when they do the same, it's like, who are they texting? Who are they emailing? And of, of course, and at some point, like at some level, we're all kind of in it together, right? We all do that shit to each other. Uh, and at the at the same time, like if you think about the way you behave when you're in the best possible situation, when you're like truly excited to be where you are, you know, like you're sitting across from some person who you've been dying to go out with, or like you know, someone who you just think is like the greatest friend, whatever. You're probably much less likely in that situation to let yourself get distracted by a text message from right, someone at work or a phone call, right? And so you are just inevitably signaling something to the person you're with when you're constantly fidgeting with your phone or checking it. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, I have seen people in relatively new relationships, like, go from that moment where, like, they are head over heels and, like, in this deep stage of passionate love, like, thinking about that person all the time, to, like, going to the moment where they're constantly on their phone while they're with each other in a very short period of time, right? right. And I, that search for, like, the newest thing and the and the best thing, I think, in particular, something that's better than what we're doing right now, uh, is really dangerous, right? And we know this from the, from a lot of research in psychology that if you're always trying to maximize your experience, uh, if you're going for the best possible thing that you could be doing at every given moment, you're almost always going to be dissatisfied. And that's true for you know w w whether like you're trying to find a good place for a taco or whether you're trying to find a, a good girlfriend. If you're, if you're trying to get the best, you're fucked. Right, right. Um, you mentioned the taco, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested in what working with Aziz was like. He talks about, you know, f trying to find food all the time, and, you know, part of that's a joke, but he's kind of a noted foodie, I guess. Um, what, what was it it's like really working? It's really serious, yeah. It could basically just disrupt our entire research day. We would, like, fly to Tokyo, to do interviews and social research. And we'd have to do like, you know, an hour looking for the best ramen and then like an hour and a half trip there and then wait in line and have the ramen. And, you know, so that was the day. Uh, I'm kidding a little bit about that. It was not <laughs> extreme, but uh, look, the guy is a maximizer when it comes to food. Uh, and, you know, that was a, a great side benefit of the project. It turns out I share a lot of that as well, and and um, but le but like I think seriously what that did is we we both understood that orientation to the world right like if you're in Tokyo why should you have shitty ramen mm -hmm. in fact you should have the best ramen possible and you should have like the best of all these things and if you're in New York why shouldn't you have the best of all these things and so Aziz and I and probably you and probably you know like most people who are listening will geek out a little bit and do research to enhance the quality of our experience, you know, with basically whatever it is. And on the one hand, that makes perfect sense. Like it's good to get a better taco than a worse taco. But on the other hand, like we can really get carried away with that. Right. And we like Aziz tells a story about this, like when he was on tour in Seattle and spent all this time, like trying to uh, go, you know, go through like the best restaurant recommendations to figure out the best place to get brunch. And by the time he finally found the place and went there, like it turned out they were closed, uh, to, to like more seriously, what happens in the search for a partner, for a romantic partner. Uh, and I think like, because we have Tinder 
or OkCupid or like you name your application waiting for us. We a lot of single people experience the world as if like a, a better person who's like hotter and smarter and more interesting uh, is just like a swipe away. And why should I really focus on this person who's with me right now who's evidently flawed? Like, right. you know, they weigh a little bit more than their profile picture and like, I'm not wild about, you know, their job or what, you know, whatever it is, uh, like we, we are too quick to get dissatisfied when in fact, like the only way we'll really be able to judge whether that's a really good person is by like spending time with them doing interesting stuff so we can experience like the things that make them distinctive and special. Mm -hmm. How did this work, like, timing and attention-wise? Because obviously, you know, Aziz filming movies and doing stand-up and, uh, you know, Parks and Rec, I would assume, was part of this as well. So how much time, like, how did you find time? How did he find time to do this, I guess? Because it wasn't just writing a book. It was, you know, doing all these focus groups and all this research as well. So yeah, look, I mean, that, let me tell you that this is something I was really nervous about, uh, you know, because we didn't know each other all that well when we started the project together. Like we'd had a bunch of meetings. Um, uh, I could tell that he was really earnest and serious and he really wanted to understand this stuff, but I didn't know what it was going to be like to work with, uh, you know, who's one of the most busy people around. And it turns out that like the guy is just harder working than just about anyone I've, I've, I've met. He, uh, was completely into the project. Um, he was not doing any movies when we were working together. He was working on parks and he was doing a lot of stand-up. Uh, but he made this a, a, a big priority. And, you know, we spent a lot of time uh, designing research projects, actually doing the research projects. You know, some things I could do myself, but some things we had to do together. Uh, and we wrote together. I think I'm curious to hear, you know, how you felt about it, but like we really tried to have both of our voices in there to have it be like a real blend between social science and comedy. Yeah, I was going to ask that the actual writing process. I mean, you can obviously tell which parts are Aziz because it sounds exactly like a stand up. <laughs> um, you don't think my art of mimicry, uh, you know, became stronger and stronger over the course of the research? I don't know, but um, <laughs> like no, I, no. <laughs> I'm just saying I, I was gonna do a stand up one time. I haven't done it yet, I, and I'd very much like to. But I did it for one of my friends, and they were like, "You're just copying Aziz's delivery exactly." And it's just like, all yeah. right, gotta gotta like not do that if I'm ever gonna do it. So the impulse is there to just kind of do what he does because it's so successful and so funny. Right. Yeah. Um, I could be similar things, right? Right. Um, yeah, but you can. But really, what you should be noticing is the extent to which he has uh, become a sociologist. No, yeah, certainly. Like, I mean, you can tell there's like large swaths of the book that are just like very like interesting, and there's certainly jokes thrown in, but it's not. Uh, you know, you're learning something. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, we really, really wrote together. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. We, 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 I mean, I've never done that with anyone else. We would sit uh, often in like hotel lounges and have like a bench where we sat next to each other with the computer in front of us, like taking turns, pounding at, pounding it out at the keyboard. And it was very intense uh, and, you know, really interesting. It's just a, a very different kind of collaboration than I've had before. And I think, look, like I, I, as it happens, uh, 
I grew up in downtown Chicago, like a couple blocks from the Second City, one of the most famous improv comedy places on earth, and spent a lot of my time like going to those shows and being a fan of comedy and paying attention to how it works. And um, uh, you know, Aziz is really interested in in social science, and you know, I got in reading stuff, and you know, we we both were willing to meet each other somewhere in the middle and learn from each other. And I, you know, I personally, I think the results are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's super. It's a great book, seriously. Um, how how long did it take to write the thing? Like, once you ha- did you write it as you went, or did you kind of do all the research first and then write it, or, or what? Uh, a little of both. Um, you know, we I think we did most of the research and then started writing. But but you know, we were, had to do this book very fast. I mean, we by the I think we did the entire project in about a I don't know fourteen to eighteen month period, um, which is all you know fast for a book that's as ambitious as this one. Um, so you know, we had to do a lot of writing uh, on the fly. Uh, but you know. Writing is also primarily rewriting, uh, so you know. So we, you know, kept on checking back and fixing things up and getting more evidence and figuring out the questions that we had that we hadn't quite tackled. And you know, Aziz and I are both perfectionists. We were really, really pushing. Um, we didn't want the book to be full of, you know, obvious observations or things that people already knew. We were, you know going for things that would uh, be new and surprising and deep. And, you know, we couldn't hit that on every single count. I mean, one of the things that we realized quickly is that, you know, a lot of the people, you know, there's a lot of great social scientists who are doing work on these questions. And we wanted to highlight their findings um, and, you know, share them with people who aren't necessarily already reading the social science of romance, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so that meant that, the point wasn't always to, you know, to break news and to show something that people didn't know. Sometimes the point was to share with people, uh, you know, what the social sciences have established about how romance works. But but sometimes we were really able to do original things, um, you know, like the you know project of going to Japan uh, to see what was happening with romance there, and like you know why is it that deep down uh, people are not getting married, having sex reproducing uh, and solving all that problem all those problems through technology like that that was really fascinating right right yeah I mean I will say in reading it that um, you know you kind of explain a lot of phenomena that I've noticed but don't know the underlying sociology of or even you know like for instance waiting to text someone back we like know that everyone does it and we know that it kind of works uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you don't know you know why and you guys did a good job of explaining that and explaining that really like statistically it is good to make someone kind of wait a bit to, i know it's so depressing yeah. so depressing <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is right and you cannot get out of the game playing Right, and but if you say you don't play the game, then that's another type of game. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't play the game game, right? Right, right. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, it's a fascinating book. So you've been hearing clips from Aziz throughout this podcast. Um, I went and talked to him earlier today about the book. It was a kind of like round table situation with a bunch of other journalists in New York City. And oddly enough, I was the only man there. There was 18 women and <laughs> me, which I asked him about and he 
kind of glossed over. No, I mean, I thought this was a thing that was like a, a, an event for like female bloggers. So I don't know. I think that was a, a miscommunication on your end. <laughs> That's what I thought it was. So maybe maybe you got the wrong email or something. I don't know. But I thought there was really something to it. Like, why are so many women interested in this book? And like, you know, are men interested in kind of what's going on here do you think like this whole new era of dating if or is it just like you know they go with the flow and it's whatever i think well i think dudes are definitely interested in it because they're like the they're always thirsty all i ever hear from talking about women friends is that they're like just massive hordes of thirsty dudes (laughs) rolling around which is kind of a bummer um but i think that uh I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if women were more interested in the effects of app, of these apps because it had, I feel like they have more on the line. But I don't know, Laura, you were like... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I find it interesting, but I don't know if I can say that it's a female versus male thing. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. It was just weird that that happened, I yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. Anyways, Derek said he has a theory of Tinder he'd like to <laughs> raise. So I'd love to hear <laughs> that. made that way too dramatic. <laughs> so, no. Yeah. Derek well, Mead's unifying theory of Tinder. Yeah. No, I think, uh, well, yeah, I just going to finish up what I thought about Laura saying. And then I can go to oh, that. yes. But, okay. Yeah, I mean, I definitely obviously can't speak for women either, but I do think that from talking to friends about dating, I think that they, that everyone I know is, that dates online has thoughts about what it is, how it's changing relationships, whether they're male or female or whatever. Um, but I do think that probably a lot of women I talk to notice more about the the um, the details of how things work. You know, like the texting story I was talking about earlier, and friend who doesn't want to text people that she dates anymore because it feels like it goes yeah. nowhere. I wouldn't have really thought about that too much. Or at least I would have just been bummed about it and not thought about I'll just never text anyone ever again because you can't not text, right? That's just right. insane. But anyway, I did have a thought about something for Tinder that I was wondering if you guys are about, or anything that is swiping related, because there's a Tinder for everything now. But um, I feel like anytime I swipe left on someone or a pizza or whatever it is that I'm swiping, a swiping app, um, if it's something I like and then I accidentally swipe no on it, I'm way more likely to swipe yes on whatever comes up next or whoever comes up next, either one. So. Yes, I agree. I think it's like, you know, like, goodbye, my love. Like, yeah. <laughs> come back, please. Like, I'll just take whatever's up next. Yeah. Um, and you don't even look at it. Yeah, I don't know. I want to know if anyone has that thought. I definitely want to hear it. You should share it in our comments or tweet it at me or send me an angry email or whatever. But I'm very curious about this. I mean, I don't know. Have you? What happened in your one evening of Tinder? Well, Do you remember? I <laughs> Um, I did feel like the the guilt I felt about denying someone was much <laughs> stronger than like, you know, the the joy I felt in like swiping right or whatever. Um, I think it was a much stronger reaction when you deny somebody. So you wow. just feel bad about it. Yeah. One thing I'll say about Tinder and swiping is, you know, like you're basing it just on a photo and you know that there's definitely people in there who you could probably have like a couple of good dates with and who knows, maybe it would go <clears throat> further than that. And it's always a bummer when it's like, Oh, this person looks like really interesting and cool. And like, we have some things in common, you swipe right. And it's like not a match. And it's like, 
come on. Like, if we, if I met her in real life, I would definitely charm her and we would, like, hit it off. But, like, you don't even get the chance to do that because they're just gone yeah. immediately. Well, and irrevocably, like, forever. They're just, yeah. like, never showing up on your Tinder again. And to go back to your theory, I think when you swipe left... That's no, yeah. That's no, yeah. Um... You're, like, there's always these second thoughts that pop up in your head where you're like, man, I just judged this person on five photos. What if they're actually really interesting in real life? And then the next one that comes up, you're just like, let me give them a chance. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably it. But I don't know. Also, it's the internet, so everyone's just like, oh, whatever, you're some bomb, I'll just throw you away. I don't care. Right. Like, not, nothing is real at that point, so I guess it doesn't matter. Right. right. And we should wrap up in a sec, but I have one final question question for you guys um this book is about modern romance but we are motherboard we're always talking about the future and something i've noticed in a lot of sci-fi lately and on the internet i've seen the beginnings of it are people are kind of saying to hell with this i don't want to i don't want anything to do with it i am just going to date a robot and (laughs) i mean that's kind of already starting in in japan you know aziz talks about it a bit where they're having japan like you know, in Japan, I went in thinking, like, oh, they're so advanced technology. Like, I bet, like, online dating and all this stuff, they probably have apps like Tinder that are so much more advanced. But it was really interesting. It was kind of it's kind of what you described, where a lot of people had checked out. Like, they're having a real crisis there where, like, marriage rates and, like, birth rates are at historic lows. And a lot of young people are not interested in dating or sex or anything. Like, there's, there's a crazy number in, in the book. I, I think I have this right in my head right now. But it's, like, 45% of women age 16 to 24 have no interest or despise sexual contact. And for men, that number is like 25%, I believe. Um, which is crazy. Like, despise sexual contact? Like, that's like, you see, like, breasts, and you're like, ugh, no, I despise this. Like People, there's already dating services that are like robots who will text you and pretend they're your girlfriend. <laughs> and on some of the very sketchy subreddits, there are like people who do amateur porn basically, and they will text and call you all week, uh, you know, for a fee basically, and pretend to be your girlfriend. And they are obviously not robots, but we are certainly getting to the point where people just don't want to deal with this and i don't know how normal these people are but i think (laughs) with things like teledildonics where you can simulate sex um with you know a dildo on one end and like a fleshlight type device on the other end i think that you know we're moving towards a point where some people are just going to decide i'm going to be by myself or with an artificial intelligence does that sound crazy to you I don't Maybe think... not not like for yourself personally, but mm-hmm. do you see this like ever <clears throat> happening? I mean, to me, it doesn't sound that crazy because people look for different things in different relationships. So I can certainly see, you know, people, you know, in, in a certain sense, robots or, or chat bots or whatever are more predictable. Like you can, they're consistent. And so you know what to expect from them. And so if you're looking for certain things in a relationship and you're not necessarily looking for like the spontaneity or of human companionship, then sure. Why not? Yeah. I also, I mean, I think it'd be interesting if we got to the point where like the, the fetishization of sex, like it's something that you like 
want and it's taboo and you have to go find and like it's like everyone's getting these weird subgenres because that's like a new thing to go find and explore and it gets to the point where it's like well i can literally like either have like tinder or like a backroom.com or whatever that is or like there's a robot that i could just have fly to me on a drone that'll do whatever the hell i want like if it's just immediately like an all cart menu on the internet of anything you could ever want sexually then what do people start focusing on in what they would want in their own relationships or what is it that you would want to look for? And it comes back kind of full circle to being more of like a human relationship. I would think like someone you can actually talk to and also order a sex robot with, but going back to like what you can't get off of an app. And uh, I hope that we get there because I'm kind of tired of apps. Yeah. yeah they're not mutually exclusive either. Like they can do yeah. like everything can. Well, certainly. I mean, the <laughs> argument is teledildonics are for people in long distance relationships and they can live thousands of miles apart for the rest of their lives and be together and <laughs> still have sex so yeah that's where we're going yeah and you can also probably find a really weird kick-ass subreddit for that too one day <laughs> definitely one day. Yeah. probably today Maybe probably now. like yeah. yesterday yeah yeah anyways uh thank you as always for listening i am jason kebler and i'm joined with laura heinz and derek mead thank you thanks we'll see you next week thank you